ingrained that into their into the culture that safety is not it's the safety department not one person job it's from the CEO down everybody uh, has a role and everybody need to be uh, looking at safety as that's something they do and it's uh, a priority for them over anything else this is transit unplugged I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views this week with our guest Suhair al who's a rail safety commissioner for Washington Metro in Washington, D.C. We'll be coming to you in just a few minutes after our news headlines on this week's program. This week, I'm in Florida at the Florida Public Transportation Association, actually uh, hosting a Transit Unplugged live event. Uh, many of you may have been able to participate in live events before. This one will be a live CEO roundtable, and it's featuring Brad Miller, Eulis Cleckley, and Adelie Legrand, who are all CEOs in Florida. And uh, while there, uh, two of the guests on stage uh, were contributors to my new book, which is called Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. And so while they're on stage with me, we're going to be unveiling the new cover of the new book, which will be published next month in October. Uh, and uh, to the crowd there. It's a large crowd here, nearly 500 people at the Florida Public Transportation Association Conference. Looking forward to uh, to talking with the CEOs. And um, then also, I want to let you know that uh, if you are going to APTA on Monday, the 10th of October at 1230 p.m., we'll be actually having a book launch celebration that you're invited to, a free celebration. It's on the trade show floor at the Vontis booth. Uh Vontis is sponsoring the event. We'll be giving away 100 copies of my new book. And I'm looking for people to help launch the book, be on a book launch team. Basically, it means you would leave a review for the book and um, and also uh, share about it on social media. If you're interested in doing that, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, Paul Comfort on LinkedIn, and send me a message uh, with your email address, and I'll send you more details. This is a big uh a big production for the industry and people across the industry. And, you know, it includes interviews, conversations with 20 of uh, America's top public transportation executives talking about what they're doing in the industry and what is happening right now in the industry uh, right now, as we sit here in the middle of September uh, is that people are involved in implementing the new transportation reauthorization act infrastructure bill. Just this morning, the uh, the regional administrator for the FTA gave a presentation here at the FPTA, uh, Florida Public Transit Association, about uh, spending the money. And there are billions of dollars left to spend. A lot of it are competitive grants, and transit agencies are involved in doing that right now, putting together competitive grant applications. The other big issues right now in public transit in our trends are zero-emission buses. I spent some time the other day with some folks from the uh, bus industry. Um, and uh, talking about how, you know, many of the buses, even the smaller buses now are moving toward electric. Uh, also, obviously, equity and inclusion in public transportation is a very hot topic right now, uh, as is evidenced by uh, the interest in the new book. And also recruiting drivers and mechanics, getting them back in the seat so that we can get passengers back in the seat, which is the other big one. Right. And so people are looking at ways to do that by uh, expanding their service, by going to microtransit as an option by integrating their transit networks and by rebooting their bus routes. All over the industry, people are uh, rebooting those networks again, just like we did in Houston on the first one. Meanwhile, great news in September is that transit ridership is up in many major cities. A quick look at Washington, D.C. Metro Rail has recovered um, 
the service in the metro rail system, the subway system, has recovered more slowly than vehicular traffic, but it still hit its highest ridership of the pandemic this last Wednesday when it logged 44% of pre-pandemic weekday trips. Before Labor Day, the subway system had hovered at around 40% since March. The new CEO there, Randy Clark, is working and is uh, seen in the Washington Post on a regular basis working on what he's uh, his new plans to improve the service. Other Another place that has seen uh, more people riding public transit than have in a long time is New York City, the nation's largest transit system. This past Wednesday, again on Wednesday, had uh, more ridership than on any other day since the start of the pandemic. Subways, buses, Metro North, and Long Island Railroad all set single-day pandemic-era records. MTA CEO Jan Lieber said during an announcement at Grand Central Station, he said ridership is coming back. In fact, ridership is surging. That's an indication that New York is coming back strong. The subways carried more than 3.7 million people. It's the first time they've hit that level since March of 2020. Uh, the 5.6 million people who took public transit on Wednesday included the 3.7 million subway riders, as well as over 384,000 Metro North and Long Island Railroad commuters. City buses, meanwhile, set a daily ridership record this past Tuesday at 1.5 million riders. And the ridership boon is good news for transit. Obviously, uh, the transit system across the country are looking to boost ridership. In New York, they were up to 62.9% of pre-COVID ridership as of Wednesday. So that's big. I mean, yeah, it's happening in other places too. Um, in Canada, in Calgary's uh, light rail system, since school started early this month, ridership is shot up by 15%. It's now sitting at about 80% of pre-pandemic levels. And um, so big cities across the country, North America and the world are saying that are seeing that public transit ridership is coming back. Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. And I think that... Um, we're going to see more of that, especially as, uh, you know, people are kind of getting back in their fall routines. Gas prices continue to remain high and public transit agencies continue to focus on customer focus. You remember that I've talked about this before, but the American Public Transit Association did a survey a while ago and public transit agencies have made customer service their number one focus. Uh, as a key performance indicator for their success. And so as transit agencies focus on the customer, the end customer, and try to develop services around them uh, to serve their needs, you're going to see that continue to improve. Some of you have asked, uh, switching back to what we talked about at the beginning, um, who might be there at the book signing on uh, the 10th of October at 12.30 p.m. at the APTA conference. Well, I'm happy to announce it that a number of CEOs who participated in the book are planning to come and sign the book for you, be there for photographs. That includes India Birdsong from Greater Cleveland, uh, the CEO there, Alex Wiggins from New Orleans, Terry White, the host of the uh, conference, CEO of King County Metro in Seattle, Freddie Fuller, past chair of Comto from Jacobs, Robbie Mackinnon, uh, KCATA, former CEO there, Inez Evans, uh, CEO of Indigo, Rod Jones, Peter Axel from Medaxel and Vontis, and others will be there who participated in the book. You can come. Uh, make sure you put it on your schedule if you're going to App Detect to come out to the trade show floor at 12.30 p.m. on Monday, October 10th, to get a copy of a signed copy of the book and meet some of the co-contributors uh, of the book who have made it so special as we focus on what transit agencies are doing right now to improve equity and inclusion in their systems and in their services. 
I'm Paul Comfort. Thanks for being with us today on this episode. Now stay tuned for Suhair Al-Khatib, Washington Metro Rail Safety Commissioner. Rail safety has become a really interesting hot topic, and we wanted to focus on what they're doing at WMATA, Washington Metro, where it all started a couple of years ago, the federal government's involvement after the Yellow Line incident. We're talking to the Maryland-based commissioner, one of the two Maryland commissioners, Suhair Al-Khatib, who's going to be telling you about what they're doing right now to make sure that rail safety stays a top priority with the operating agencies. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you with our special newsmaker interview, Suhair Al-Khatib, a commissioner at the Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission from Maryland and a good friend of mine. Suhair, thank you and welcome to the program. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. My pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, great. Uh, Suhair and I worked together at the MTA in Baltimore, where he was the longtime uh, deputy administrator and ran engineering and and uh, so many other parts of the agency, the rail, for many years. Suhair, you were uh, my right-hand guy. It was, it was great working with you when I was there. I always felt confident knowing you had things under control. Thank you, Paul. I felt the same way. <laughs> well, I don't know how much I had it under control, but I know you had yours under control. And now uh, that we both have kind of retired from the agency, I've moved on to this podcasting and broadcasting and and books and all that media. And you have moved into really a more specialized area into safety for rail. And man, that is a hot topic right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, we just uh, on our show, we've been covering some of the safety concerns from some of what they call the legacy rail systems, including MBTA. I just had Steve Poftak on the program a few months ago. And of course, the Federal Transit Administration just came out with uh, a study and they've set up a separate office at MBTA that reports directly to him to implement the findings that the FTA came out with. But really, all this started back a couple years ago at Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority uh, with the Yellow Line incident and the FTA coming in and Congress giving them oversight. And they set up the safety commission, right? Tell us some about the commission you're on and and what your role is there. So the commission was a, uh, a fruit of many years of discussion between the three jurisdictions, uh, state of Maryland, uh, state of Virginia, and District of Columbia. So like you said, Congress has been uh, looking at the safety aspect of, of Omaha, Washington, Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. And uh, after many years, basically, the Congress has created a compact between the three jurisdictions, and, uh, and it was signed by the President of the United States in 2017. And then once that got the legislation was signed, it was up to uh, FTA to basically t- to uh, transition because they were kind of the lead uh, safety um, agency at that point for Omara to transition uh, this uh, safety role into uh, into Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission. And in uh, March of t- 2019, FTA certified uh, the commission to take over. Metro Rail Safety Oversight and Enforcement from FTA. Uh, so this is kind of started in you know many years before, but in 2017 the law was signed, and then 2019 uh, the legislation was certified by FDA and White Washington Metro Rail Safety was created at that point as an independent state safety oversight agency. And from that point, the three jurisdictions each appointed two commissioners plus one alternate. So Maryland has. Uh, Two commissioners, and I'm one of the two Maryland commissioners, and, and Virginia has the same thing in District of Columbia. So uh, this, this, uh, the Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission has uh, uh, definitely made many safety roles and responsibilities. Um, it is a state safety oversight agency that's uh, that's the law requires for WMATA. 
uh, and then has set of rules and responsibility that's created in law, uh, including audits, uh, like triennial cycle audits, uh, has inspections. Uh, uh, then then once inspections come up with issues, we have correction action plans, caps, that's created and then got, got done. The, the commission also does safety certification and has safety events investigation, which is, you know, you have, you have issue comes up and, and then we put out, we send our people to go on safety and, and inspect the situation or the location or, and the commission has an enforcement action and authority. So it has a full authority to go full access to the whole Omara system physically and has access to all electronic and computer databases that Omara has. So uh, the commission has by law access to all Omara system. That's uh, good. So yeah, finally it has, it, it basically reviews and approves a Wamata safety plan. So okay. these are some that's of the your role. That's yeah. by law. So you have staff and uh, the commission kind of what you meet like on a regular basis and you have staff that comes in and gives you reports and then you assign them functions. How does the, uh, how does the organization itself function? This Washington Madras safety which has a CEO okay. and has a deputy CEO and has staff. Um, all of them are seasoned uh, inspectors, safety inspectors, uh, worked in rail um, many, many years, uh, you know, anything from 15 onward. And these people go and basically they are plugged into the license system. Like I said, they go and inspect things as they, as they see fit. Some of these inspections are, you know, ad hoc. They just go out and, and check the system and, and uh, if they see something, then they create a uh, you know, an action plan, and and uh, and then they come back to us, the commissioners. We meet once a month. Uh, we meet with the CEO uh, and his staff, and they brief us on on what took place in the last month. And uh, we have uh, kind of working session in the morning, and then uh, in the afternoon we have a public forum where uh, it's a public meeting, and anyone from the public can join and listen to the discussion and the questions and the reports that's being presented at these meetings. Now, WMATA has a new CEO, uh, my buddy Randy Clark, who came up from uh, Austin, Texas. And uh, so how do you interact with, uh, you know, the CEO and the executive staff of WMATA? Uh, the CEO of Washington Rail Safety Commission and his staff interact daily with the staff. Okay. But, but, but in terms of Randy Clark and, and his senior executives, they basically meet uh, with the chairman of uh, because the commissioners uh, appoint a chairman. So we have a chairman of, of the commissioners who uh, who um, even with the prior uh, CEO for Mala, he had basically uh, regular meetings with the CEO, and uh, they go over issues generally. You know, just talk about issues in general, talk about culture, talk about you know safety. And and as we always say, you know, when when you and I when I were at the MTA, we always say safety is job number one. That's right. Uh, and what safety is not done by the safety department. Safety is done yeah. by everyone. That's so that's right. the culture. So the people at Romana need to grain that into their into the culture that safety is not it's the safety department. No one person job. It's from the CEO down. Everybody uh, has a role. And everybody need to be uh, looking at safety as that's something they do, and it's a, a priority for them over anything else. Obviously, uh, safety uh, a lot of times um, in conflict with operations. 
And is that the piece that where, uh, you know, somebody have to make decision uh, of what to do when, when, the, when the safety incident uh, um, require uh, some kind of uh, operation impact? Yes. So, and, and there has to be a commitment, I think, from the top. I mean, uh, you might remember at the end of all of our staff meetings, we had everyone there. I always said, okay, that's everything we're going to do. What's the one thing we can't do this week and today? We can't have a derailment. <laughs> and, uh, and you made sure that didn't happen, Suhair. I, I remember we had um, a bunch of capital projects uh, when I was there. I remember we always had, I, I think it was like 150 at any one given time capital projects. We had a, a, you know, a, a large uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in capital projects going on. Uh, most of the time, we had those quarterly meetings where you and I and the other team would sit and review the project from the project teams. And I remember there were some big rail uh, fixes that we had to do. And in the past, it always been done like in a trickle. We would do a little bit on a weekend when there wasn't as much ridership. And you came up with a brand new idea that I think we won awards for, if I remember right. Tell us about the approach that you suggested as we did a bunch of rail work uh, over one summer, as I recall. So, uh, yeah, no, we had interlocking that required that's it replacement. That's, these interlocking are, you know, up to th- 25, 30 years, they need no matter, no matter how much repair you do and maintenance, they just, they run out of time. They just, their age and, and, and it's better, it's more effective to replace them. And so, uh, it, it was, uh, at that time we were going to do kind of, uh, a, a block of time at night, like from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Right. To give the contractor a, a three hour window, uh, at the end of service so they, they can come and replace the interlock. I mean, these are very, uh, complicated, uh, piece of work. That require uh, huge setup by the contractor at the beginning, and and a huge effort to wind down and and bring back the system into uh, into operation at 5 a.m. in the morning. So uh, you and I sat down, and remember we talked, and we said, you know, this is not an effective way of of, of using contractor time. We thought it might be better just to uh, um, do a shutdown for the system, so we can replace not only that one interlocking. Replace all of them, all three. They were in that area, and also do other rail improvement, and then um, and provide some kind of bus bridge in between these these areas. So we will we'll keep the system metro system running uh, from 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 Hong's Mills all the way to uh, Milford Mill, and then we shut down from Milford Mill to Town and then uh, and then we do the work in between. So that was right. that was that was the kind of the hard decision to make because obviously we as a as a public service uh, we don't like to inconvenience anybody we don't like to uh, put people out of you know out of their daily routine of using metro uh, but but um, alternatively to do to have a three hour window is not a uh, practical no. way to do a business and so we shut it down I remember I had to do uh, pitches up upline to uh, to get agreement from the powers that be to allow us to shut the whole subway system down in Baltimore, a section of it. We weren't going to close service. We were we just contracted with a company to bring in buses to provide a bus bridge and people would have to get off the subway and get on a bus and ride. But I remember that we did not get, we did a lot of publicity to let people know what and why we were doing it. We wanted to get it all done in one fell swoop and we were able to get more done than we were going to be able to do with just three hour segments. And it was a great success. I think there was a write up in Metro Magazine about it and other transit agencies after that. So here I remember called and talked to me about it and what our experience was. And I spoke at conferences about this approach of basically deciding that, you know, 
putting your money where your mouth is, right? We always say safety is number one, but are you willing to make major decisions that impact service in order to make safety number one? And we did it, right? Yes. I mean, we just have to bite the bullet and, and say, this is what needs to be done. It's a critical piece of infrastructure and, and uh, we want to do it right. And the only way to do it right is shut down and, and let the contract do the work without worrying about service in three hours. So that was right. a that was, the, that was a hard choice I had to make. So, Harry, you made one major decision that really uh, made national headlines uh, after I left the agency when Kevin Quinn was CEO, who's now gone on to TransLink in Vancouver. Tell us about that major decision. Yes. Well, in March of 2018, um, um, I got reports from my chief engineer saying the rail um, is wearing at some sections of the track of Metro or Metro system much faster than we anticipated. We have our, our rail manual that states uh, that, uh, you know, we have a GFA of 26. Anything above 26 uh, require immediate action. And the numbers we were getting at that point was above 26. Uh, 26 was the number that used by some agencies. Some agencies go above 26, 28, 30, uh, which is, uh, but uh, when MTA had that in their manual, and I am faced with a decision to make uh, where we have many sections of the rail uh, are wearing out much faster and, and, and reaching a point where above 26 of GFA. Uh, uh, I, I had to basically recommend to um, our uh, CEO uh, to uh, sh- uh, shut down that section, shut down major element of the, of the metro rail for us to go and replace the rail because that's a huge safety concern red flag for me. So um, we sat down, uh, you know, I presented the finding that they have my chief engineer to the Debbie uh, administrator for operations, and then the CEO, executive um, uh, manager, Kevin Quinn at that time. And we sat down and we said, we needed to shut down. And we presented that to the, to the MDOT and to the governor. And, and uh, it, was, it was a hard sell, but, but everybody agreed that's that what needs to be done. Uh, we shut down the system for a month. We brought in a contract on an emergency basis from Ohio. Somebody got in. Uh, you know, we, we called them on Saturday. On Monday, they were here in Baltimore, and they're still oh. working on replacing rail. They brought rail. We had rail. We had rail. Fortunately, we had rail. So they started cutting all the rail and putting new rail. And uh, we finished it before the four weeks uh, shutdown that we have uh, planned on. Again, once again, a great example of putting your money where your mouth is, right? Being willing to, if there is a red flag or a red line that's crossed, taking dramatic action, even if it means impacting service, because safety really should be number one. That's correct. And then, and uh, although we inconvenience our riders slightly, uh, maybe a little bit more than slightly, but then we yeah. provided a bus bridge and people will be able to uh, get on the bus for the entire length of the system, go from place to another so we tried to mitigate situation a little bit, but we felt it was needed, was necessary to be able to uh, mitigate that risk factor. And I think that that rail is probably good for another another 25 years uh, before it goes to the same uh, issue again. And it's a good message, I think, for the industry. Um, 
ridership of commuters on subways, light rails, and commuter trains has really been our number one KPI for years and years. But during the COVID pandemic, we saw that transit agencies really changed their priorities. And an increase in ridership is now, even by the latest APTA surveys a year or so ago, not the number one key performance indicator anymore. It's customer satisfaction, customer experience. And the way, the number one way to build customer satisfaction and loyalty, in my opinion, is to have a safe system. That was why we created our four pillars, safety, efficiency, reliability, and world-class customer service. And safety was always number one. And really, it has to be more than just words, right, Suhair? I mean, the management has to take action. It's not just about adding and building the great new gold line, silver line, whatever line we're building. You also have to make sure you're doing, you know, a state of good repair alongside of that and making that a priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, you know, one accident, don't limit it, all the goodwill that uh, you put in, you know, 20, 30 years of service, one little accident, one, one injury, one fatality, it just, it, you know, take out every, all the goodwill and then you have to start from scratch. And obviously, uh, that's the last thing any public agency want to do is put any of their patrons in, in jeopardy, that's or right. injury or fatality. Well, well, thank you for the work you continue to do. By the way, on a volunteer basis as a commissioner of, uh, of the Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission uh, and the work of all your commissioners in ensuring you know, our nation's capital's transit system runs safely uh, and the work being done around, what would you say, one last kind of comment to those around the country and the world whose focus is on safety? What admonition would you give them? You, you know, again, it's a lot depends on, on where you stand in terms of age of the, of the, of the infrastructure that you have. Uh, in, in our case, the Washington Metro Rail, Washington uh, Metro System is a system that was built and started in, in the mid-60s. And, um, and uh, you know, for, for many years, it was considered the new kid on the block. It was a good system. Everything will look shiny and clean and, and, and nothing, we don't have to worry about any replacement or, or major maintenance. Uh, but it's no longer that way. I mean, it's it's now it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's it's a mature system, reaching a right? point. Yeah, so reaching a point where you have to think about safety in a very uh, delicate way. You have to consider this. And then again, if you are if you are a system like the legacy system, like we talked about, that the New York or the Boston, the Chicago, you know, you've been through this cycle of of you know every fifty years you have to do a major replacement. Every thirty years you have to do this. You have to change. Interlocking, you have to change tracks, you have to change bridges. Uh, when well, Washington Metro is just going through that process, and this is this is for, uh, for the for them and for everybody involved is a new cultural thing, and and you have to transition from being, you know, I'm a new system into I'm 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 reaching an age, middle age, uh, like uh, like like, like, say, our, like us in our bodies, like us. We need some more middle age, and and you have to start you start thinking seriously about a placement about about uh, more thorough inspection, about more thorough maintenance, uh, and, and not just rely on the good old system that we had before. Very good. Good words, Suhair. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged, talking the importance of rail safety. Thank you. Hi, it's Julie Gates. I'm Director of Marketing for Trapeze. Transit Unplugged's communications consultant, Alea Carey, is under the weather today, so I'm going to deliver her message so she can rest her golden pipes. We've talked about marketing for recruitment. Let's talk today about recruitment for marketing. If you have open marketing positions, and many agencies do, here are some tips for finding the right person to promote your organization. 
First, there are many transit jobs publications online and in print, and you probably know all about them. You definitely want to reach out through them in whatever way has worked for you in the past, usually by posting a paid job listing or buying display ads. But have you considered paid editorial space? See if the publications you think will work best for you will allow you to write an article about your organization and its search for qualified, enthusiastic candidates. You can sometimes get these paid editorials along with a display ad purchase. You also need to reach potential job candidates who don't work in transit. Consider targeting marketing professionals with an interest in social justice, the environment, or city planning. You can do this inexpensively with digital pay-per-click campaigns that will be served to people with the characteristics you define. Finally, you'll be using your social media to promote jobs, but if you take a little time to study who is engaged with your social media pages, you might be able to ask your most faithful followers for their referrals and recommendations. That's it for this week's segment. Alea, we hope you feel better soon. Hi, this is Mike Bismarck, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, kindness, and mentorship with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Leadership. As we listen to today's guests, we're reminded again, as I often say, of the immense talent and leadership that resides within our industry. Once in transit, are you ever out? I'm not sure. However, I can say we're fortunate to have so many folks who have worked on both sides, both on the public and private side, and continue to be passionate and focused on specific expertise within our industry. Organizations like APTA and CUDA on both sides of the border in North America continue to be great information outlets, peer-to-peer sharing groups with a plethora of individuals, many dedicating their time outside of their normal duties, volunteering to continue to advocate for transit, transit funding, transit policy, transit safety and security, all while mentoring our future leaders and sharing those learnings within our industry. Great leaders also typically relay great messages, like Zahair's message today, Safety not being the responsibility of the safety department, but everyone's responsibility. While also discussing the necessity to change culture and awareness to get a message through an organization. With both APTA and CUTA fall conferences coming up soon, as I've said many times before, if you're not on one of the great committees that are there, please check one out. There's got to be something of interest, but you will be amazed at the incredible group of peer leaders and mentors sharing ideas and advocating for the future of transportation. Have a great week. Kindness is cool. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views with our guest, Sahir Al-Khatib. Next week on Transit Unplugged In-Depth, we have Michelle Bouchard, Acting Executive Director of Caltrain, the nation's seventh largest commuter rail service that runs from San Francisco all the way down to the garlic capital of America, Gilroy. Now, don't forget to visit transitunplugged.com to sign up for the newsletter so you're always in the loop with whatever is going on with the podcast and the TV show. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy. <laughs>